is the word of God found in your bulletin, 1 John 5th chapter, verses 13 through 21. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, so that you may know that you have eternal life. This is the confidence we have in approaching God, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have what we asked of him. If anyone sees his brother commit a sin that does not lead to death, he should pray and he will give him life. I refer to those whose sin does not lead to death. There is a sin that leads to death. I am not saying that he should pray about that. All wrongdoing is sin and there is sin that does not lead to death. We know that anyone born of God does not continue to sin. The one who was born of God keeps him safe, and the evil one cannot harm him. We know that we are children of God and that the whole world is under the control of the evil one. We know also that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know him who is true. And we are in him who is true, even in his Son, Jesus Christ. He is the true God and eternal life. Dear children, keep yourselves from idols. This is the word of God. Good morning, everybody. Um, I also was mourning um, some football losses this weekend with uh, Notre Dame going down in a blaze of glory uh, to USC. Um, I always tell my friends that uh, I converted to Protestantism as a pastor, but not in football. and that runs too deep for any conversion. Uh, I want to honor a couple people here that are here. Uh, one is Bob Dyer and family. Uh, Bob is, stand up, would you, Bob? Bob, uh, <laughs> that, what a stand. Uh, I'm not honoring you because you are a South Carolina fan and you just came. Uh, I hope you got that excited about worship, too. Uh, <laughs> Uh, Bob is actually, if you're a member of Christ Central, one of your elders. Uh, he is part of the oversight commission that oversees us, that is, uh, uh, um, that has overseen us for three years. And so if you get to see him, uh, thank him for all his prayers and work on our behalf. You don't see him much because he attends another church. He's a pastor, an uh, elder of another church as well. But we borrow him for a time until we have our own elders, which looks like it's soon and very soon. Well, more on that later. Uh, another person that is here is uh, is Wyatt Shirley Plummer. I, I guess you're one flesh, so you get to be one person when I say that. Uh, but uh, that's Wyatt Shirley Plummer. And Why is the head of... Uh, of uh, African-American movement leader for the PCA, and he is uh, not just that. Uh, he has also been, in one sense, an elder over your church because basically he's on speed dial for Pastor Howard at any given time. And uh, I am sure that in average they talk twice a day because even if they miss a day, they catch up three, four times a day the next day. Uh, but uh, but they are always on speed dial. So I always know that if it's real intense and he's talking, that I can, you know, Howard, Pastor Howard's like this, then I go, oh, it must be why, it must be important. So, uh, uh, but that's uh, why and Shirley, who uh, have family in North Carolina and are here uh, as well to visit. So uh, welcome them as you do. Well, we're going to bookend the uh, the series on First John, and uh, uh, so I, I get to kind of sum it all up for us, and we get to kind of talk through what what John's doing here. And uh, it's really interesting. You have this very first verse: "I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, so that you may know that you have eternal life." Um, and so this is a really significant bookend. Hey, 
Here's why I did what I did. It actually echoes what he said he was going to do in the beginning, which was to encourage us uh, that we would have eternal life, that we'd have life in the sun, if you will, in the first uh, chapter. But So this is one of those big life questions, these ultimate question kind of things. Uh, eternal life. I mean, that, it just sounds so almost tritely important where, you know, you'd go up to the sensei of some sort and, you know, you walk him and say, oh, sir, how must I have eternal life? Or, you know, it just seems so, uh, such a big deal. And I, and I, and whenever I think of those kind of moments, I think of, uh, Douglas Adams, uh, uh, Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. You know this, uh, maybe? Um, but what he does, he says, here's, he has this kind of fictitious and really weird world where hyper-intelligent pan-dimensional beings, which are rats, uh, are are uh, are going to figure out the ultimate questions in life and what they're what they're going to do and they create this uh, all the questions of the universe and of life and all that stuff it says in the book um, and so they create this book I mean this this computer uh, called uh, Deep Thought and it's I'll read from it after the great computer program had run a very quick seven and a half million years the answer was announced the ultimate answer to life is forty two. You, you didn't like that one? I thought that was funny. <laughs> Swing and a miss. There you go. 42, which is how many points I think got scored on uh, Notre Dame. But anyway, uh, big picture questions, light and darkness and uh, truth in truth and living in lies, love, hate, Christ, antichrist. These are the things that are picked up, God and Satan, uh, even things like blood and water from last week. Um, but there's something else about just the ultimate question kind of stuff that John is dealing with. He's actually dealing with an assumption and a term. The assumption uh, that, you, that you read in this, as you read this passage, and a term, the term eternal life. And I want to talk about those for a second. Because this passage assumes that we doubt. If he needs to write a book to encourage you to believe that you have eternal life, then he's assuming that you doubt that you have eternal life. And these, mind you, are for those who believe in the name of the Son of God. So this is for church folk, for Christians, if you will, for those who are believers in the name of the Son of God. Church folk need convincing, need reminding, need uh, remembering, need... Uh, uh, they have. There's an assumption there that we don't remember, we don't get this. And uh, I don't know if you all know this is true, for pastors, I, I, let's say we're the kind of emblematic church folk, unfortunate as it is. Um, but y'all know what it's like to, to, whenever we sit down on a Monday or a Tuesday, Pastor Howard and I talk about this all the time. Lord, convince us that it's true. Help us believe it. Help us believe it for ourselves and for our congregation. We doubt. We struggle. We're, we we need the help. I don't know if you have. I have a pastor friend who's uh, who's a part of a sister church plant, and every time uh, of about this time every year, he goes into this deep funk. He goes into this deep funk where he's not sure he believes it all again. He uh, now jokingly says, "I wonder if it has to do with the fact that I have to go home and see family." But 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 each time he 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 has this he has a real crisis of faith. A real crisis of whether he believes all this or not. Even last week when we had two adult baptisms, two people coming up and saying, I believe this stuff, I really do. One of the people that had come and visited our church last week was a guy who wants to plant a church. Uh, he's in his last year of seminary. He's 35 years old. He's supposed to believe this. For goodness sake, he's supposed to be in the ministry. And he, he, we walked to lunch afterward and he goes, I wanted to go up to him and say, do you really believe it? Do you really believe it? 
He didn't ask you that, so you're all, you're all good, no worries. Um, but you see, this is a book written, there's an assumption that we doubt, that we don't know if we have eternal life, and then we don't know necessarily uh, what that is. Let me tell you about, let me just do the assumption of doubt again. Victorious Christian living, for me, is a day without self-destructive behavior. <laughs> Victorious Christian for me, living for me, is a day I don't want to turn it all in. Sometimes I'm barely making it. Now, I have weeks and months sometimes where it's, it's a lot easier. It's great. But it's a victory not to go over the edge. <laughs> and, the, and the great thing about this is that John assumes that that's true. And this book is for us. And so what does he bring to bear on it? This thing called eternal life. And eternal life is, 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 is a term we need to understand because, uh, again, it's got all these themes that we're talking about all the way through the book of 1 John where it has uh, loving God and loving neighbor and keeping ourselves from the very dehumanizing behavior I was talking about before, the self-destruction, uh, living in light and not darkness. And it talks about the ages to come. So eternal life in John and in most places in Scripture is not just about from here to eternity. It's not just a length of time. It's not just a a quantity of life. It's a quality of life. It's God's invasion into the world with his kingdom. And there's a qualitative difference, a quality to this life, something that affects real change and difference about us. And that's what the answer is. That's what the rest of this passage is all about, is what that eternal life, uh, you might call it the good life, not the good life in the sense that uh, we use in American, uh, kind of American slang where you get to get what you want and do what you want. But... um, uh, promises of fortune and all that stuff, but different types of promises, different types of things that God has called us, uh, called us into and has given us in eternal life. Now, if you're one who is not one who believes in the name of the Son of God, I just want to encourage you. If you don't believe it, we barely do either. This is what the book's for. It's trying to help us out. So look over our shoulders uh, and and watch us struggle with it too. We do believe it enough to profess. We do believe it enough to know that that there is eternal uh, eternal life. But I want to encourage you. It's okay to struggle and doubt and work through this stuff. It's assumed that it's hard and difficult and that eternal life is a tough concept and tough thing to have. So what is this good life, this eternal life? I want to say it's three things. It's a life of confidence. It's a life of um, of concern, and it's a life of knowing. No, knowing. Life of confidence, life of concern, and don't you wish we still pronounced the K, because then it would be three K's of knowing. Let's talk about this life of confidence, because this is a really important part. You're talking about eternal life, and you're talking about these important things, and look at verse 14. This is the confidence we have in approaching God, dot, dot, dot. He hears us. Believers, those who trust in the Son, in the name of the Son of the God, God hears you. And I don't know, if you're talking about this eternal life, this good life, how, if you can understand how important that is. I was just at this schwanky, uh, wedding and I met a guy who I knew I was not on his social, uh, level. I knew that that he didn't really want to talk to me. <laughs> and I'm, you know how this goes, don't you? When you're not, when you don't matter as much, and I and apologize if I ever did this to you because I know that I could do it too. But he's shaking hands with me and he's doing the, yeah, you know, where are you from? I ask. Well, yeah, I'm from Charlotte. Oh, great. You're not many people from Charlotte. Yeah. 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 Where'd you go to high school? Yeah. I went to so-and-so. You know what I mean? Just, there's no, there's nothing. 
He is not hearing me. He's not hearing me at all. And I think sometimes we treat God that way. That anything we have for us, anything that, 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 that's in us, anything, that, any way we would approach God is approaching this guy who doesn't have time for us, who doesn't care. It's not true. You are heard. The eternal life that we're given, the good life we're given, is, is having a confidence that you're heard. Our aching prayers, our thanksgiving prayers from this weekend, our, uh, our prayers of frustration, all of this stuff, all these ways that we approach God are heard. I think one of the great tasks in the pastoral, uh, uh in the pastoral life is just listening to your stories. And the reason why is because it's, it's showing, it's proving what's true. That God hears you. You guys, we have so many people, uh, uh, in our midst, me included, that are so, uh, stuck on, stuck, uh, and, and stuck in shame and, 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 uh, and, and don't want to, don't want uh, fear in terms of our stories and things like that. We've never told God the most significant things that have happened to us in our lives. We never told God or neighbor or anybody else. God hears us when we speak. God hears us when He approaches. If we have, if, the, if you're one who trusts in the Son of God, eternal life is that you are heard by Yahweh Himself. He cares. He is not too high and lifted up. He cares. And it's really interesting because the next verse actually says that we're not just heard, but we're answered. And if we know that He hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have, that we have what we have asked in Him, of Him. Now this can be quirky. This gets real messed up, so we're going to do a little theological aside real quick. A lot of brokenness has come out of this kind of deal where you just say, you know what, if I just ask it, then it will happen. It's called uh, name it, claim it, or blab it, grab it, or I don't know, other other kind of things like that, um, where if you just kind of earnestly trust it, then it will happen. And um, if you just believe enough and pray, then you'll win the game, ace the test, land the job, Get the house, whatever it is. And, and you know, if you may be people who have, who have, have just been flat out crushed by this, rea- by this kind of idea. And the reason why it's wrong is because you're forgetting what's in part, in, in verse 14. We're forgetting what parts is, is in part verse, in verse 14. If we ask anything according to His will, then it's answered. So, Prayer becomes this thing where we're aligning ourselves to God. And it's not just whatever we ask willy-nilly, like, you know, I want a new pony. But it's it's prayer that's actually responded to the grace of God that's come, the eternal life that's invading us. Uh, the Westminster Confession of Faith, which is our standard, says that prayer is this. It's an offering up of our desires unto God. See that hearing? He would give them our desires. For things agreeable to His will in the name of Christ. That's a great definition, and uh, I think it, we got to think of prayer as uh, uh, as uh, uh, John Stott, who writes a commentary on this, says that every prayer that we pray is a prayer that is in one way, shape, or form some modification of the prayer, uh, "Your will be done, Father," exemplifying Jesus's prayer. Prayer is like being a bad fisherman. Uh, <laughs> Sorry, Pastor. <laughs> We have a group of guys that have been fishing a lot in our church lately, and their total body count is zero. Uh, but that's good, because this is the illustration. 
prayer is like, sorry man, uh, prayer is like, um, is like being a bad fisherman. It, we sometimes treat prayer as like we're really good at fishing. So we throw it out, shh, just reel it back in. We throw it out, and we just reel it back in. Prayer, and we're on the boat by the way. And, uh, uh, but what prayer is, is when we throw it out, we hit something real and firm. Maybe the bottom, maybe an anchor, maybe the shore itself. And when we start reeling, we get closer. We get, the boat moves towards what's solid and real. That's the kind of, that's what the prayer is. And that's what the promise of this prayer is. And you guys, this is actually good news. I know it's a bummer because you don't get your red pony all the time. But, it's really good because the prerequisite for Christianity, prerequisite for Christianity is to know that your will's kind of messed up and not ever, all your wanters are wanting rightly. Not everything you have and want is good. And so what we do when we come to Christianity is we surrender that will, we surrender our prayers, we surrender our desires to God and say, you know what, you know better than we do. And so he's like, okay, and that is the very promise of eternal life, is that I will give you what you need and what's good for you, even when you're going, oh, but I want the pony. He'll give you what's good and right that's as akin to his will. But And think about what his will is. His will is for justice and mercy and goodness and love between neighbor, right and right relationship with each other, peace with one another. I mean, we're not talking about the bad revealed will here, like he just wants to, you know, uh, embarrass you or anything like that. This is the God who loves us, who sent Jesus, who said, who's, uh, who, um, who, who, ex- who tells us what his will is. And so that affects our prayers completely differently. We're going to say prayers like, Lord, how do we give our life away more? Believe it or not, this is the eternal life, the confidence that's coming our way uh, through the good life. How do we desire to die to our desires for more stuff, including the pony? How do we learn to suffer well for Jesus? Give us the courage to love people when they don't love us. Pray that you'll make room in your heart and in your daytimer for people you don't like. All sorts of prayers like this. Even this prayer, I was uh, the uh, David Speakman uh, was telling me uh, about a story where a pastor came up, uh, a congregant came up to him who was a very wealthy uh, individual, and he said, "Look, pastor, I can't tithe, even though I know I want to tithe, but I can't tithe because if I tithe, I will. It'll. It's twice as much as the church's budget." And the guy wanted to tithe, and he said to do that. And of course, the pastor was resisting the temptation to go. It's all right, man. Go ahead. Uh, but. Uh, uh, but he says this, well, I'll pray you earn less money. <laughs> I loved it because it wasn't showing his greed. It wasn't showing it like that, but that's perfect. Those are the quirky upside down kingdom, eternal life, the good life prayers we end up praying. We're in line with his will. Jesus, teach us to die well for our neighbor and for you. Help us sacrifice knowing that we will not be eclipsed by all the things we feel like we're going to give up. <sighs> I know it's hard. <laughs> it's not just a life of confidence that our prayers will be answered, confidence that he hears us, but it's also a life of concern. It's not just about us. It's about others. This eternal life that we're called to, that we're not just called to, but that we have in Christ. Uh, it's a life of concern. Let me read for you um, of 16 and 17. If anyone sees his brother commit a sin that does not lead to death, he should pray and he will give him life. I refer to those whose sin does not lead to death. I refer to those whose sin does not lead to death. There's a sin that leads to death. I'm not saying you should pray about that. All wrongdoing is sin, though. And there is there is a sin that does not lead to death. Okay, that, that's kind of quirky. But the first point is actually paralleling a point earlier. Um, I don't know if you remember it from the third chapter, if you were here when Pastor Harvin's preaching several weeks ago. 
uh, there's, a, there's a passage in Scripture that says this. If you see a brother in material need and don't help him, there's the love of God in you. Meaning you should be helping him. And this is the exact same parallel. This time not material needs, but spiritual needs. If you see a brother or sister that's struggling in sin and you don't help them, what's up? This is the exact same kind of thing. It's a, it's, it's a, it's, it's moving towards. It's this life of concern that, um, that, that, that is, uh, that, that is the part of this good life, this eternal life that we own in Jesus. Now a quick aside is I don't want you, please read the passage, the, the part that I just read about, um, those who do not lead to, the sins that do not lead to death and sins that do lead to death. Please understand that that's an aside. That that's not straight down the middle of what he's saying. He's actually, let me do this aside about the aside. He, he's, he's not saying, um, he, he's not creating this elaborate theology. People have done all sorts of interesting things with this stuff too, where there's some unpardonable sins, and then what we gotta do is figure out which unpardonable sin it, it, it is, and then we gotta figure out which one we're not gonna do, or which sin are we not gonna pray for you about? Hmm, I don't know. You know, and I don't think that's the point. It's an aside. It's going to, it, let, let it suffice it to say that the two things are true. One, is that there is sin that leads to death, even physical death. We talk about it every, almost every week at the Lord's Supper. The, the, the Lord's Supper is actually a place where we come into it unwor- unworthily. We, it could actually make us sick, sick and even die. But, um, uh, and there's all sorts of other sin that can kind of lead to that. It's not a one-to-one correlation. It's not the sin that you do. It could be different for, for each of us. At the same time, know this. And John knows this well. There's all sorts of bad things people have done that are named in Scripture that we're forgiven for, that are not unpardonable, that there are, uh, that, and there are things that we're begged to pray about, that, that we're asked to pray about and, uh, and asked to, uh, to, to pursue people on. This is not, this is not about figuring out what that sin is that leads to death. This is about what? Having concern in humility and in prayer for other people. That's the point of the passage. In humility, look at the humility gut check that's going on in verse 17, or, or um, in 16 and 17 and 21. In 16, it's, if anyone sins, guess what? That means you could be at anyone, right? If anyone sins, let's begin to pray for them, restore them. And then it says at the end, all wrongdoing is sin, just in case you were wondering. If you were a, a JV sinner among varsity sinners... Just in case you were wondering, all of it's wrong. We're all in trouble. You're just as bad. And then at the very end, it even says, after all this great stuff, hey, dear children, remember to keep yourself from idols. There's an assumption that we are idolatrous people, that we are wrongdoers, that we are sinners. And so uh, it, it assumes that when we're going to go move towards somebody in these issues, that when we see a brother commit a sin or a sister commit a sin, that we come to with this sense of deep humility and... Um, I think it, it's a gut check to, to arrogance that the Lord's doing here. It's a gut check for us being overzealous in our picking out other people's sin. Think Jimmy Swagger. Think Ted Haggard. Think Al Gore's SUV. Think spanking a kid in anger after he hits his sister in anger. We are all very capable of of, of this kind of arrogant rage, this kind of arrogant judgmentalism where this, the, 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 the we're blinded in one eye, uh, knowing that we're better than them. And this assumes this incredible humility, but it also assumes a sense of prayer. This is what the main point of it is. He should pray and he will give him life. God wants us to pray in those situations. When we see someone commit some wrongdoing, just, uh, like the parallel passage says to give of your material goods, it says, 
Pray for them. You guys, this is extremely difficult for me. Since, since day one, I stepped into seminary, we have this class called Ministry, Development, and Assessment. Ministry, Development, and Assessment is given uh, by a, a guy who's been a pastor for 30 years. He's an amazing man. Uh, he's a little bit quirky. We don't really... Uh, he's a little bit tough to, to relate to, but he gives this class, and uh, um, and you never quite know what to do with him. He takes these pictures of you, uh, and he flips through them, and he prays for you here and there, and it, it's, it's really kind of... Uh, uh, it, it's it, it's most made most bizarre, not by him, but because everybody in that class, everybody in that class is going to be a pastor. Everybody in that class is really struggling with self-importance. I remember one guy. Mm, can still feel it coming up. But we were talking about Calvinism. Now, Presbyterians are Calvinists. I'm a Calvinist. I like Calvin. Yay. That's great. Okay. This guy, we were talking about Calvinists and non-Calvinists. This is a theological framework for those of you who don't know. Anyway. The guy was, the guy had the audacity, he was getting really red in the face and he said, I'm not sure people who aren't Calvinists are Christians at all. What? Have you lost your mind? And I started going, oh, I mean, I just, I, I that's like raise, putting a red flag in front of me and I just start, you know, uh, I start going after it. So I'm just going nuts and internally I'm going nuts. I'm just, you know, uh, how does this guy think he's going to be a pastor? Da, 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 da. I come up after church. I'm all mad and arrogant because the guy's so mad and arrogant. Uh, and, uh, and, uh, and, uh, so I'm, I'm coming and I come up to the pastor, to the professor who's also a pastor and I said, can you believe it? Da, 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 da. How's this guy supposed to be a pastor? This is after class and everything like that. And he stopped me and he said, Georgia, have you thought about praying for him? No! Are you kidding me? No, he needs to be pummeled in the name of Jesus, not prayed for in the name of Jesus. Thankfully, he didn't just have a picture of that guy praying for him for the last four years. He had a picture of me for those four years. And as quirky as he is, every Saturday morning, all 125 students, they'd come up on his PowerPoint, pictures of us, and they were like at 10 second intervals and he'd pray for us 10 seconds at a time and run through it two or three times on Saturday morning to pray for us. Is that not amazing? He believed that he should pray and he will give him life. He believed it. He really believed when in the first century church when you're, the elders were supposed to set aside for prayer and preaching of the word that that actually had some type of real effect in the world. He actually believed that. And I want to, this is what eternal life is and what it's challenging us to do is that as we have concern for others, that our first step will not be, uh, pummeling, but prayer. As we disagree, as we have struggles with things, do you guys know? Oh, this is a tough confession. About three years ago, I read an article about Ted Haggard. Do you know who this is? The guy who fell? National Association of Evangelicals. The guy fell pretty significantly, uh, for immorality. Three years ago, I read a, a deal about his church, and I said, you know what? If this is what evangelicalism is, I am not. Uh, and I told everybody, you can, not call me, you can call me just a Christian, orthodox, right, historical Christian person, but I, if this is evangelicalism, I'm not it. When he fell, my first response was, see, I was right. The proper response is, dear Jesus, be with this man. 
The proper response. I, I, some, I was telling, I was going off, uh, telling a friend of mine, say, hey, look, you see, I told, kind of, I told you, whatever. And, uh, the pastor, another friend of mine, another church said, Giorgio, isn't it so easy to think there's something, you know, intrinsically wrong with him to keep us from ever having to fall like that? And I went, oh, dear God, please save my soul from what I could do. No humility, no prayer on my part. Humility and prayer enough around me that the eternal life could catch on to me and I could actually believe it too. Oh dear God, please be with this man, be with this church, be with all these things. Let it not be a sin that leads to death. Let it be a sin that can lead to repentance and that people could call him back. Oh, I have much to learn here. Even in the way I've written the new members manual for our church where it says, hey, we're going to be a church that confesses our sin to each other, but we're also going to be a church that confronts each other. That means to go have a conversation with someone. I need to go back and edit it. Please, if you take one class about it, look for this. uh, That says, the first thing you need to do is go pray for somebody. And then maybe you need to go back and actually have the confrontation and talk with someone. It's so blind to me here. And it's probably because of this. I don't believe in the good life, the eternal life that the Lord is bringing. That he actually uses this to heal people. That he actually uses this. That it's actually amen and yes. That this is actually on board with the Lord's will. That the prayer actually does something. That this is actually something that, that, that the Lord lets us um, to walk um, with him in redemption of his people. That we get to, to be part of the warp and woof of the gospel. We get to be part of how people change, people uh, learn, and people uh, grow, and people are freed from their sin, including us. It's really interesting, the, the passage there says, he should pray and he will give him life. Oh man, you put three he's in a row in a commentary and people go nuts. You know, in, in the Bible, no one knows which he's what. I love that it's confusing, because we know the ultimate life source is God, and we know we should pray. But who gets that life is a little bit confusing. Is it us, the prayer, or is it prayer, or the sinner? I'm not sure it's not both. I'm not sure it's not both, that the eternal life, the good life we're given there. Okay. It's about uh, uh, this good life that we're called to, that we have in Christ, is about um, about a concern, it's about a confidence, but it's also about a knowing. It's about a knowing. And this is the really important part because First John, if you remember, Pastor Howard did such a great job telling us about the historical uh, 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 reason for First John. And there was these people called the Gnostics. It's actually G-N-O-S-T-I-C-S or something. The Gnostics. These are people who thought knowledge, uh, gnosis in the Greek, uh, was this thing that you experienced, just me and Jesus. And they had these kind of mystic... Uh, uh, they called them mystery cults, and uh, they included lots of uh, uh, really uh, b- interesting to our our understanding, really bizarre sacrifices. Uh, sometimes blood baths, literally, where you would you would you would dip yourself in these things. It was really interesting, and that was all so that you could get this secret knowledge, this this secret knowing, where you get it, you understand it, you um, you are closer to Jesus with that. And so, what what Paul's what John's doing here is actually addressing knowledge, which is really interesting because he's undercutting all this gnosis stuff, all this gnostic stuff, and and he's replacing it with a real knowledge. And here's what he does: he gives you three sentences in a row about things we know who have eternal life. Three things in a row. Let me read them to you. We know that anyone born of God does not continue to sin. The one who is born of God keeps him safe, and the evil one cannot harm him. We know that we are children of God, and that the whole world is under the control of the evil one. We know also that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding, so that we may know him who is true. And we are in him who is true, even in his Son, Jesus Christ. He is the true God and eternal life. 
three quick things that we know. Ultimately, the source of this eternal life. He says, these are things I want to get in your head. I want to have as a mark uh, burned in who you are and what you are. I want you to know that anybody born of God doesn't continue to sin. Now, this is an important thing. Because the Lord keeps him. Because uh, the one who was born of God keeps him. The one born of God is a metaphor for Jesus. The, the one who is, who, is, uh, who is the firstborn of, of God. The one who uh, was born in Mary's womb. This one keeps us. This doesn't mean that you have never sinned and won't continue to sin here or there. Because we already have in this passage that says, if anybody says he's not a sinner, then he's a liar. We have that in 1 John 1 or 2. So he's not saying this. But it's a promise, remember? It's a promise that says this. Those of you who have eternal life will not continue in the patterns of sin forever. Now, I want you to let that sink in. Think of the most deepest and darkest things that you struggle with. And think of freedom from those things. Think that what this eternal life is being brought in you, whether it's anger or pornography or uh, selfishness or greed or just fear of man, fear of people, uh, whatever it be, the Lord has invaded your life with this eternal life, this good life, to free you from it. And it is a promise. It is something we know, we can know that this is true, that he is ultimately going to bring us to sanctified holiness in it. This is a promise to us. And those of us who have eternal life, as the scripture says, those who believe in the name of God are, are given that as part of the gift. He will, he, he will heal us. Yes, fits and starts sometimes, but ultimately we do not continue to sin. We are new creations. The gospel really does matter and it really does change us. Of course we know we can't be self-righteous in it. Of course we're not going to be great because we know that on this side of glory we won't, we're always going to struggle with being arrogant in some way. But he really does change us. I would ask you to ask people in this congregation how that has been true. If they start telling an arrogant story about how, well, I used to be a sinner, but now, then just stop listening to them at that point. But if they start telling you about how the Lord has really freed them, from greed or really freed them from pornography. Not 100%, not all the way, but has really, really changed them where they do not continue to sin, continue in their sin, to use that language. I want you to be, I want you to see that there's actually real power in the gospel. We do get better. We really do. Sometimes not as fast as, most of the times not as fast as we'd hope. Sometimes faster than we'd hoped. But we do get better. And the reason why is because we know, next verse, We are children of God. Kept children of God. It assumes again that the whole world is under the control of, of Satan, as the passage says. And that where it says lying in Satan is actually the probably the most uh, exact translation. It's kind of lying in the arms of Satan. But we are children who have a parent whose arms are thicker and bigger and stronger, who hold us in the middle of the world. Not this first John, but John the Red Pastor says, Don't fear, I've overcome the world. I can keep you safe. I have fatherly arms that protect you as children. And this you need to know is true. Because this is the center of what eternal life is as well. The experience of that. The experience of that is not that you will just no longer sin one day. But also that you'll be kept as a child of God. And then lastly, he ends with the big bat. And he just hits it out of the park and says this. 
We also know that the Son of God, and he just proclaims the gospel here. You hear us talk about the gospel. Here's what it is. We know that the Son of God has come and given us understanding so that we may know him who is true. And we are in him who is true. Could be better translated, who is truth. Even his Son, Jesus Christ. He is the true God and he is eternal life. The answer to the question about how must I get eternal life is not 42. It's Jesus. And it's a him. It's not an object. It's not a something to know. It's a person to know. To know with your whole heart and your whole mind. And it's not so much that you can create the energy to know him better all the time. It's the fact that he's actually come to know us. He's the son of God. This means he's come to the earth. He's come incarnate. This, the Christ, the Messiah one who's come incarnate to actually change and, and bring this kingdom, this eternal life to us. He's actually come uh, uh, as, as, as the bearer of the kingdom, as the king of that kingdom, to come out and invade our lives with this glorious thing, this glorious thing called eternal life, this glorious thing called his kingdom. Where not fear and shame reign anymore, but love and mercy and justice reign. Where he has come and is bringing that about in us. That's the gospel that drives us. You, it's not eternal life it, it's eternal life who. We walk in an eternal life relationship because we have the eternal Son that intercedes for us on our behalf. The eternal Son who has made us right for eternity with Him. So it's not just quality, but it's quantity of life. It's the eternal Son. The eternal Son who's made, who, who's made uh, 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 restoration and forgiven our sins for when we are not the people who believe in the eternal life. When we're not the people who uh, trust the confidence that the Lord's given us. When we don't believe and we call him a liar when he says that uh, that he answers us and he, he hears us. It's precisely the son that's given us uh, forgiveness for when we, uh, when, we, when we don't care. We have no concern for people. Not just for the Ted Haggard, but for the Pastor George O'Hyatt who has no, uh, no prayer, no humility towards the Ted Haggard. It is precisely that son that gives the eternal life that we need and that we cling to. Let's pray. Jesus, your word says that you are eternal life. Help us trust you. Know that we're, uh, we're doubters, um, as you do know. Know that we we want it not to be true because it means so much if it is. Know that uh, we turn to so many other things. And know that we're scared, filled with shame, filled with guilt, that we keep trying to manage ourselves. Lord, help us, convince us, teach us to believe in the name of the Son of God and that we have eternal life in Him. Teach us to trust you, to lean into you, to know that your, your arms are stronger than our fears. Teach us that we're children of God, one day to be made glorious because of you. Teach us that you're Son of God and eternal life. We ask this in your name. Amen.